Good morning, beautiful people. You are tuned in to KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and you may be streaming on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. You're listening to Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host here, Nube, and I want to thank you for sharing space with me this morning. Before we get started, I want to give a big shout out of love and solidarity to our caged community members and to their families. Know that we are in this together in solidarity in the fight for our humanity and prisoners' human rights. We are going to get started right away. We've got a lot of wonderful voices to listen to, and we are going to start with the second part of my conversation with Paul Red about um, Community Release Board. Here we go. We need to have a community release board. Exactly. You, you know, know what I'm saying? We, we it, need to have it, this back in our hands. Exactly. You know what else we need? Like I said, we need to create a new coalition. I mean, we got all these different coalitions, and, and all of them good. They all serve in different purposes. But we need a coalition that's going to really spook these people up at the power control our own destiny. Okay. Say, for example, here's mm-hmm. hey, back in, back in um, the early um, 80s, uh, the parole board was under attack. So people start saying board members are making all this money to keep people in prison year after year after year. So the the thing was, why you need a parole board if you're not letting people out? Right. So they said, right. hey, they need to do away with the parole board. So when they said that, I said, you know what? That's right. A jury convicted me. So I should go back before a jury to determine whether or not I'm suitable to be parole. Mm-hmm. Not no right. parole board, remember? Right. Right. Because that's going to be the board. system. Exactly. So when they start talking about abolishing the parole board, parole board start looking at, oh man, we're gonna lose this job and all this money. So they started, you know, making a few little uh, uh, changes on the surface, but it really was it was, really wasn't doing nothing. They were just making these what you call cosmetic surgeries. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. And it, it, it wasn't doing it in, in appearance. It was like, oh, yeah, they got the message now, so they're going to they finna make changes. But they wasn't doing all that, you know what I mean? Right. So, again, right. now, again, now, if you, you bring that back up again, a, a, a movement talking about doing away with the parole board, you know what I'm saying, replacing the parole board with uh, a jury and let the jury... You know, you pay juries uh, to sit at trials. The money go back into the community. The money go back into, you know, uh, recycle back into the community. Right. Well, let's pay jurors who some of them are, are without jobs. Let's give them the money to sit on the jury stand to determine whether or not I'm suitable for parole. You know? Absolutely. Right. So, and by by the real standards, not the the clandestine uh, strategic standards that CDCR wants to come up on their with on their own. Exactly. So you you, you change you change the game. You change the the, the, the game 
where it's being planned, and now you're taking that control back. Now they're looking at, hey, you know what? We created this problem. And let me show you something else. You got they call the Sexual Predator Act. So if you got individuals who committed sex crimes, um, before they can be released from prison, they have to go back to a, a civic, a civil hearing before a court and a jury. The jury must determine whether or not that person is safe enough to be released to the community. Now, that's a sex predator, a predator. Right. We other lifers, we, we don't have nothing to do with being a predator. Right. Why can't we have a jury? Oh, why, why can't you have a jury? Why can't we have a jury determine whether or not we are safe enough to be returned to the community? Okay, so real talk then. What? What, what, why do you think that is? Why can't, why well, can't you think, get that? Well, I think, number one, some of the politicians uh, behind it are also part of that sexual predators, mm. you know? Mm. So they're protecting each other, mm-hmm. you know? So... Again, I think that's one of the reasons. The, the other reason is because they want to look like they tough on crime. So when it comes to sex predators, we, we're on top of that one, you know? We're right. tough on that. And it's all, right. it's, all a joke. it's all a joke when you really look at it. And they, they, they create a different narrative for you. They just continue to it, keep you to the public looking like, again, just, you know, scary, violent black men that need to be caged. Because people buy into that hype. Exactly. Let's get tough on crime. And then you build this you build this prison called Pelican Bay and you spend all these millions of dollars up in there and you label it the worst of the worst. So you start transferring people to those prisons. Now, over but p- particular people, right? I mean, we're talking about. I mean, not just anybody. It was anybody. Check, hey, check this out, newbie. It was anybody. When they opened up that damn prison, you had guys, old men coming up in there. They look like they're ninety years old, amputated legs, no arms. You know what I'm saying? What oh, because, right, but here's the other thing, right? Because this actually was an experiment that they were setting up. Right, but they put it out there. We sit in the worst of worst up there. Right, like, of course. Sorry, if, yes. If, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, I hear you. Here's the thing. If a prisoner stood, if a prisoner was at another prison, and he stood up against a guard who was being disrespectful to him, mm-hmm. they'd throw him in a hole. You know what they do? They put him on the next bus to Pelican Bay to teach him a lesson. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So any of the ones that were not compliant, easily compliant, they're like, oh, we're going to ship you to this place, and we're and we're we'll just make you compliant. We'll we'll break you down. And they they even sent people who was transgender up Mm -hmm. there because they had a problem with them. Mouth, uh, so-called mouthing out at the guard at either San Quentin or Vacaville. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to teach your ass a lesson. Pelican Bay was used as a scare tactic for a lot of people. Right, right. And it, and it worked it because it scared a lot of people who came right. there 
who never was considered hardcore or, you know, uh, uh, hard timers in prison. So it scared, it scared a lot of them. But right. here's the thing. You had the general population in Pelican Bay. Now, all the years I had been to Pelican Bay, I talked to several attorneys who lived in, in the area who represented lifers at board hearings in the GP. And I asked each one of them a letter, them, them attorneys, I say, do you know general population that ever been found suitable? They said, no, Mr. Fair, kind of think about it. We don't know one prisoner who's been found suitable who lived in the general population. I say, you know why? You know why you think that? Because the stigma of the worst of the worst. So when they go before a parole board, they go before a committee, in order for you to be here, you must have been a straight asshole. You had to be the worst of the worst. Therefore, we're going to keep you here. Uh, we're going to deny you parole. That you, You're taking a human being that you don't necessarily see as a human being. You just see them as something to be, to, to be exploited, to be labeled to as be this thing and to do what you want with it. Right. To be abused to be yeah. uh, tortured. They have labeled them and they and and that's it. And it has become so easy to do that with people right. because we've been doing it for centuries. Exactly. Did you become politicized when you were inside or did you already have a certain level of consciousness at 18? Well, Political I had a conscience because I grew up, I had family members that was Black Panthers. Oh, so, got it, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a problem. I grew up around well, that. Sorry, you know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. when I first came to prison, it was in 76. And when I came to prison, I met other Africans that was in prison who was uh, conscious, culturally conscious. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of connections on the outside to put on shows. So I had friends of mine on the outside come up to DVI, the warden, let them come in put on fashion shows, uh, celebrate June 19th, stuff like that. Um, not knowing uh, to me that that was going to make a lot of racial officers uh, pissed off and mad and use that to lock me up in the hole. So in 1977 was the first time when they put me in the hole for a conspiring uh, with nine other prisoners to uh, assault prison staff. Right, which was a lie. Uh, that, that, was, yeah. that was a trumped up charge because they didn't like that you were conscious and empowered, self-empowered and educated, I'm, I'm assuming. Right, and to show, you, to show you it was trumped up, they locked me up with nine other blacks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. While we was in the hole, a week later, they let all nine out but me. We all was charged with the same thing, given the same reason of being put in the hole. When I went to the committee, the committee told me, Mr. Red, um, we're going to retain you a couple of weeks for observation to determine whether or not you are involved in a prison a gang, right? So, you know, We'll see you again in about 90 days. Oh, uh, thank you, told me. I think it was a, 
90 days, I mean, 30 days or 90 days. Anyway, when I came back to the committee, you know, they told me, it's real, we seen you was out there on the yard, uh, hanging out with Joe Bro, lifting weights, uh, playing dominoes and all that with these different people. Therefore, we believe you're a BTS, so therefore, we're going to retain you in the terminate. Now, mind you, there's only one yard to go to. Did an African on that yard name that yard? Prison staff and officials call that a BGF yard. So if you own that yard, in the eyes of them, you BGF, number one. Number two, anybody, any staff, other prisoners not in that hole or walks by the yard hole and see you on that yard, they're going to all assume that you are a BGF because you're on that yard. Wow. Yeah. Well, I when mean, they that's... see your face again, oh man, that's one of the dudes on the BGF yard. Hey, uh, see the staff standing there and talk to us. See that guy right there? He was in the L Wayne on the BGF yard. So now it went for you being on that yard to you actually a member. Right. They, a lot just, of they just created falsely, that. Right. And that's how a lot of people get falsely labeled as so called gang members because they the one that created that. So, um, okay, so you were, so, so you had some political consciousness. Do you feel like the time, so when, when they decided to send you to Pelican Bay and call you the worst of the worst because uh, you were clearly a threat to the system, you were a threat to the status quo, um, Whoa, I mean, this is what I mean. Like, you're just a living example and a living indictment of of what this system is about. And, and like I said, to me, it's just another vestige. It's just another manifestation of slavery because it's about controlling, um, again, black life, black resistance, black liberation. Um, so when you got to Pelican Bay, how long how long had you already been in prison? And did you like did you did you go to DVI when you were first arrested and, and, and imprisoned at eighteen? Did you have a time where you actually left there and were free again and then no, went to Pelican Bay been, or No, I was never no. free until May twenty first of uh this year. Yeah, I've been I've been in prison since seventy six. I was a I got arrested in December of nineteen seventy five. But okay. I have never, I've never been released in, uh, from prison until uh, May twenty first, uh, two thousand and twenty. That is just crazy. So when you, so did you go straight from DVI um, to Pelican Bay, and did you go straight to the hole in, in Pelican Bay? Oh, remember Pelican Bay wasn't built until uh, uh, eighty nine. Yeah, uh, yeah, eighty nine. That's when right. it was built. So I went oh. to I went to, I went to DVI, stayed there several years. Uh, and from there, I went to uh, Old Folsom Prison. Oh. Old Folsom Prison. I stayed there from '82 until '87, uh, and with the New Folsom, from New Folsom Shoe, I stayed there from '87 all the way until. Uh, 80, uh, these, uh, January of 89, 
Then they sent me to Corcoran Shoe. From Corcoran Shoe, I stayed there until uh, 90. And then uh, I went back to Folsom on a, a re-hearing. But Folsom didn't want me there, so they got me straight up to Pelican Bay. Told me to take my due process to Pelican Bay and deal with them there. That is just sick. So but when you so when you left DVI, oh, you spent some time in the hole in DVI as well. But then as soon as you left DVI, every place that you went, were you immediately put into solitary confinement? Yeah, I was in the hole everywhere I went. Oh, my God, Paul. I don't know how you survived and, it. And everywhere, and everywhere I went, they put me in the hole based on the fact that you said I was uh, a ranking member of the uh, Black Gorilla family, right? Right, right. And because now, they just said, could could say that. See, that needs to be a crime. That needs to be illegal. I mean, they're, they're not the court in there. You've been sentenced. Not. But here's, but here's the catcher. It wasn't until 89, I mean, until 90 when I was in the Corcoran shoe that appeals card there because I had filed complaints. I used to file multiple complaints against prison officials. But anyway, in, in 90, in Corcoran, I filed a complaint about being denied due process. Appeals coordinator named Mary Rockwood, she came to see me. She said, Mr. Red, she said, I went through your entire C file. I cannot not find no confidential 1030 forms that had ever been issued to you uh, based on your uh, gang affiliation and no committee has ever uh, provided you with a 1030 form prior to uh, retaining you indeterminate. She said, I don't have the authority to go all the way back to 1977, but I got the authority to go back to, like she said, 88, right? Mm -hmm. or 87. So she ordered that the counselor and them give me give me 1030 forms on every confidential document that's supposed to be in my file. Now, mind you, I was supposed to have been locked up in 77 with nine other people based on confidential information. Back in 92, Appeals coordinator Pelican Bay went through my entire file. He said, Red, there's no confidential document in your file back in no 1987. Accuse you of anything. Wow. And then I finally got documents later on that shows the only thing they had was a committee chrono that they were referring to. But at that time in in uh in uh 2000, oh no, in 90. In 96, SSU in Sacramento said those 1977 documents, classification documents don't constitute gang activity. Therefore, they ordered them to be removed. Well, mind you, I've already been indeterminate for a number of years before that error was ever uh, uh, discovered. All right, if you're just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio, and I'm your host, Nube Brown. Um, and we have been listening to um, a second segment of a conversation that I was having with Paul Red. If you are interested in hearing more on 
this idea of confidential information and really some of the um, what should be illegal tactics of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, um, then I en encourage you to go to the California Prison website at www.prisons.org and read issue number 56. Just go to the newsletter um, and see the, the past issues there. Issue number 56, it's the summer of 2018, and go to page 9, and you can get some really good information on confidential information, which is also called 1030s. Um, I do want you to know that there is a bill, SB 1064, that is headed to the governor's desk. Uh, people from American Friends Service Committee, um, especially Laura Magnani and others, have fought valiantly to get this bill on confidential information and the misuse of it. So we are looking for the governor to sign this into law. I also would encourage you to go to Cage Universal YouTube page. Cage Universal Cage starts with a K. That's K-A-G-E Universal. That's the YouTube page. And look for They Still Use 1030s to Jam the Door. And I believe that's a piece by Lewis Powell. All right, we are going to take a quick musical break with I Can't Breathe by Her. Time. 
Destruction of minds, bodies, and human rights. Stripped of bloodlines, whipped and confined. This is the American pride. It's justifying a genocide, romanticizing the theft and bloodshed that made America the land of the free. To take a black life, land of the free, to bring a gun to a peaceful fight for civil rights. You are desensitized to pulling triggers on innocent lives because that's how we got here in the first place. These wounds sink deeper than the bullet your entitled hands could ever reach. Generations and generations of pain, fear, and anxiety. Equality is walking without intuition, saying the protector and the killer is wearing the same uniform. The revolution is not televised. Media perception is forced down the throats of closed minds, so it's lies in the headlines and generations of supremacy resulting in your ignorant, privileged eyes. We breathe the same and we bleed the same, but still we don't see the same. Be thankful we are God-fearing because we do not seek revenge. We seek justice. We are past fear. We are fed up eating your because you think your so-called black friend validates your wokeness and erases your racism. That kind of uncomfortable conversation is too hard for your trust fund pockets to swallow. To swallow the strange fruit hanging from my family tree because of your audacity to say all men are created equal in the eyes of God but disparage a man based on the color of his skin. Do not say you do not see color. When you see us, see us. We can't breathe. True that, we really need to bear this collective pain together in unity, um, really in solidarity for the fight for our human rights. So, okay, with that said, I do want to bring a voice that um, I welcomed home last week. I actually did pick up Keith Malik Washington from the airport on September 3rd. He is here. He is in San Francisco. He is at traditional, uh, sorry, at transitional housing right now. Um, but he will get started to work um, at the SF Bayview to become the new editor. So he will start in training. And here is a message from him now. Peace and blessings, sisters and brothers. This is Keith Malik Washington, the assistant editor of the baddest black newspaper in the United States, the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. I have a piece that I would like to share with all of you, and it is entitled Wakanda Forever, The Legacy Lives by Keith Malik Washington. It starts like this, and I want you to really take your time to just meditate and listen to the words that I'm saying, and I'll begin here. Like an unchecked cancer, hate corrodes the personality, and it eats away its vital unity. Hate destroys a man's sense of values and his objectivity. It causes him to describe the beautiful as ugly, 
ugly as beautiful and to confuse the true with the false and the false with true. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. Justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. And that was a quote from our beautiful brother, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I think that it was safe to say that Chadwick Boseman personified black excellence. This work that we know as the Black Panther movie was most certainly an exhibition of this black excellence. But more than that, it was the embodiment of love for all things black, or more appropriate, or more appropriately, all things African. Like many of you listening to this piece, the death of Chadwick Boseman caught me totally off guard. While most of us live our lives through our social media platforms, Chadwick chose to keep his fight with colon cancer to himself. As a black man living in the United States of America, I can understand why our brother would withhold such a diagnosis with the public at large. Job opportunities are not very plentiful for a black man in America. And Hollywood has relegated us to specific roles, roles which ignore our intelligence and strength of character. There is a legacy that was left behind by Chadwick Boseman. This legacy of black excellence seeks to humanize and define the black man and black people as more than Jeff and Ann house Negroes and buffoons. Ryan Coogler and DuVernay and a host of talented and upcoming filmmakers like my brother, Kevin Epps, have a duty. They have a duty to continue to create art that portrays black people as we truly are. We are unique, phenomenal, and magnificent. The more that we capture the narrative and show the world who and what we really are, the fewer times we will see law enforcement officers executing us on national TV. When black people are portrayed as subhumans and as unrepentant gangsters or menaces to society, it becomes easier for the pigs to justify their indiscriminate executions of us. This must stop. The movie Black Panther may not have expounded on the radical politics of the original Black Panthers, but there was a pronounced common thread. Wakanda was not a country invaded by colonizers, nor did it invite imperialists to exploit its people and pillage their land. Perhaps not everyone was thrilled with the storyline that pitted brother against brother, but I can promise you this, the legacy and example left behind by Chadwick Boseman will not be easily forgotten, nor will it be easily duplicated. As a black man living in America, I am proud to call Chadwick Boseman brother. It is imperative that we come together at this tumultuous time and get to the core of the problem facing us. Police in America must begin to respect the lives of all black people or risk being disbanded and abolished. I leave you with another quote from our honorable brother, Dr. Martin Luther King. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Sisters and brothers, Brianna's life mattered. Ahmad's life mattered. George's life mattered. Second Blake's life matters. Black lives matter. There to struggle. There to win. All power to the people. This is Comrade Malik.
and I approve this message. Thank you, Comrade Malik, for that inspiring and uplifting message. Now we are going to turn to Emwalimo um, Shakur, who have, I have the, the privilege of receiving a regular call from. And uh, so here he is um, with more wise words and education to share with us. And I do encourage you to uh, Google his name so that you can read more about him. And uh, just go to Mwalimo Shakur, that's M like Mary, W-A-L-I-M like Mary, U, Shakur, S-H-A-K-U-R. But here we go with his call to me uh, just a few days ago. Hey, how you doing, Mwalimo? Well, I'm doing okay. It's just the heat didn't came back. They are uh, really trying to, trying to burn us up out here, 106. 111, 109, I'm like, man. Right, and are you getting any relief there? Do they give you fans? Is there any air conditioning? What's going on? Well, I got my own fan in there. The the ventilation is still blowing uh, pretty fair, fairly the way it was before, where it's not really, um, it's not too, it's cool, it's not hot air. You know, and then you got to have a fan. I got a fan in my cell. So I have been, I went to the yard this morning for the first time in a, about a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. um, I exercised, and you can feel it. And I was, I was out there about 10.30. But I'm, uh, my boss is lenient. She's like, yeah, you guys all don't have to go to work. Um, so we go in for a couple of hours a day. And I'm only going in like maybe three days a week, two, maybe three. And uh, which is all right. So I can come back, give me a cold shower and rest you know, catch up on some reading and writing. But, you know, you want to you wanna not just stay cool, but, you you know, trying to stay away from catching this COVID virus, you know? No, of course, right. So, yeah, it didn't resurge over here on my yard. Uh, they moved a couple people to B yard, pending transfer to High Desert, and two of them tested positive. So when they moved them back, they put them in a building, and the building that they put them in is now all quarantined. Then the little ad sick building they use on this yard is all quarantined as well. So we're concerned about the police to go got to go in and out of there to feed them and stuff, being on the yard and not having no masks on. So that's on our minds. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, people that haven't caught it don't want it. And people that have it don't want it again, you know, so. Exactly. You just got to protect yourself. I know, but so the guards are still, the police are still not wearing masks? Well, they wear them, but then they like to pull them down when they get around each other. They don't be six feet apart or nothing like that. Mm. And when they catch it, if they're positive, you don't see them around. You know, you can't. They can't. They can't come back now for 14 days, and 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 until they test negative. But you know, the, the way they act is careless. You know, right. and and it's not like they care if they pass it. You know, so that that's what's on our mind. Like, well, you don't care. We got to care about ourselves. You know, absolutely. Right, right. You know, yeah, and, and they're, they're testing them. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. They haven't tried to test us again, except for the ones, because they're trying to do the transfer. So the ones that were supposed to be going to High Desert, they tested all of them, and then they moved them to the other yard, and two of them was positive. So they brought them all back. I don't know if the other ones will be positive or not, but the other ones that came back went into the, the different buildings. So... You know, you, you really don't know except for just protect yourself and 
the way it seems like the guards want to keep passing it. It's like they want it to be a quarantine program. Why do you think they want to keep it on a quarantine program? They do all the work. You know what I mean? When it's a quarantine program, they do all the work. They got to bring the packages to the building, the canteen to the building, your books to the building, whatever you order. Um, they got to do all the food handling and stuff like that. But what I've heard is the guard union now gets hazardous pay, like mm. they did when, mm. they, when we, they were working in the shoes. They got paid, you know, triple pay than a regular CO. So mm -hmm. that's why I think they wanted to be on the, the quarantines because they get Thank more money. <laughs> yeah, it's always going to be about money. You yeah. Know? So, all right, so you all are doing your best to, to, you know, just take care of yourselves and stay as, as safe as possible. I mean, are the, you know, the police kind of staying away from you, or do you feel like they're, they're still kind of, are they coming around and, um, you know, unnecessarily or anything like that? Uh, no, not really. They're just, okay. you know, coming in, you try to stay away from them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, the ones who were uh, promoting this, the racist um, attitudes towards us, um, those have got relieved. So those are the only ones that was coming around trying to, you know, be agitators and things like that. Once um, that 602 that a comrade of mine filed and, and it got the captain um, or the lieutenant heard it on the second level, once that got heard and granted, he took immediate action for that. And then he sent it to the third level. So they moved those COs off the yard. We don't know where they're at. The rest of them pretty much got a little act right right now. Based on mm -hmm. that, as well as, you know, all the, you know, your loved ones out there coming to these prisons and protesting and stuff like that. And media attention exposes the dirty deeds of what goes on behind here. It kind of weakens um, their, their, their power. Their union, their guard union may be strong, but when you get... A, a bad light shined on you, and it coincides with the uh, the, the the killings of innocent uh, black and brown people in society from these all white racist police forces. It tends to make you look bad, you know. Absolutely. So if the courts start to flip in our favor, all we have to do—I don't care if it's a white supremacist judge—all all we need is one case to go through about prison injustice, and it's going to spiral out of, out of control like it did when we were in the shoe. It was. Kennedy, I guess, who's in the Ninth Circuit, who's in charge of all the prisons. Well, when he looked at his desk and he had all these files just coming out of Pelican Bay, no other prison in California, I'm sure it was a few, but Pelican Bay had so many cases on his desk. That's when he called the governor, like, hey, what's going on? Not just the Hill State, but preferably this prison right here. And that was, you know, right after we had did the hunger strike, right before we did the third hunger strike, you know, mm -hmm. so... When you tend to um, flood the court systems, you got your loved ones protesting, you're filing, you know, your own grievances, and you got other people sh uh, shedding light on radio or, or on media television or, or, or in newspapers and newsletters, anything to expose the injustice, they don't want that undue attention. You know, it's going to make them feel some type of way. So as long as we keep doing all things like that, that's what's going to weaken the system. You just can't never give up. And you have to welcome retaliation because it's coming. You know, we, we face it all too often. You know, that's why I have a civil suit now because of retaliation. And, you know, it's a, it's a discomfort, but it's also like a badge of honor, you know, because you welcome it. You know, you welcome it in a way where you know that it, it's you got something done. You got under somebody's skin, you know. So you just take the... Um, 
the bitter with the sweet. And uh, keep on moving, you know, and don't right. get discouraged. Right. I, I, I hear you. Boy, you are definitely, definitely good at that. I'm telling you, those are wise words and very inspiring. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Yeah, you got to be, sis. You got to stay mentally strong, psychologically strong. I mean, we don't read and study all these books for nothing. You know, we internalize the ways of our ancestors and, and other people that was in the struggle before us. And we, when we internalize it, it becomes second nature to ourselves. And what gives us the strength in it that empowers us is they paved the way for us. We got to go through it to pave the way for others, you know? Absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully within my time, I'll see more changes than my ancestors did, you know? And it won't be as hard on the next generation. So that's what I'm hoping. And I believe we're in a very, very um, meticulous revolutionary time where we can attack them on so many fronts and win right now as long as we just keep going. That's, I, I agree. Let's stay focused and moving forward and doing this together. Is there anything that you, that you need? Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, a couple of other com uh, uh, female comrades and sisters, they um, made sure, one of them made sure um, I got a quarterly package coming, and that should be here shortly. And a couple of other ones sent me some reading material that they had read so I can browse through that and then offer my take. And then just I'm just continuing uh, a lot of political work that I have to do right now. Um, comrade Malik, I was able to get in touch with a female comrade he did an interview on. So now I'm in touch with her, and she wants me to do some work with her. So that added another uh, another gust to some of the work I already had going. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty. Uh, I think I, I think I would have to say I'm pretty set up for the next couple of months with, with oh. things that I'll be that I'll be busy with. You know, and I still got you with Liberate the Cage Voices. That's such a very beautiful outlet. I want to see it, you know, advance and expand the best that we. We can get it, you know. So I say I'm all right. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Well, yes, for right. sure. That's what we'll be doing over here, getting getting your voice out, and um, and that's uh, um, yeah. We'll make sure. And Luke is here, as you know. And uh, did he did did you get hooked up with uh, Tia Hamilton? Yeah, her. That's yeah, the one I was yeah. talking about. I am also working on my own website right now. Um, I had a blog page, but I'm, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my own website. I'm, I should be working on that and have that up and running within the next couple of months. But right now, a lot of my work is on other people's websites, which is fine, you know. But uh, yeah, it's getting busy. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I'll be busy for the rest of this year at least. Uh, able to help in ways that are progressive for others, you know, other grassroots organizations, other uh, people in our class who got some good things going. I look, I'm looking forward to work with them and, you know, propel them forward and continuing to re-educate so that uh, revolutionary mental transformation can take take place in a productive way behind these walls as well as in society. So, uh, you have 60 seconds remaining. Uh, fortunately, they cut this one short on us, as always, but I'll send you my love. <laughs> Take right. care of yourself. I'll talk to you soon.
And uh, right. Comrade Malik, my, my best too, tell him I said keep his head up. And I look forward to meeting him and uh, dialoguing him around some good social issues where we can do some, some positive things. Yes, indeed, for sure. I will. Okay, sis. Talk to okay, you. Okay, you take you continue to take care and try to stay as cool and safe as possible. I'll do that. You do the same. Stay healthy. Okay, I got a phone call from Ifoma, who we had heard from a couple of weeks ago, and we were hoping to have his voice here again, but he let me know that he was going on to quarantine and that he would send me a letter. And in that letter, he wanted me to read a piece that he wrote about um, a loved one of his that has transitioned. So here it is, the piece by Ifoma to his friend and comrade. It's called Measure of a Man. Mata Musa Johnson, born April 26, 1948, transitioned November 28, 2019. Within the spiritual realm of African religious belief is the idea of eternal life. Upon making the transition from the physical world to the spiritual world, when we remember, celebrate, and acknowledge the lives of friends, family, and acquaintances who are part of our life journey, we say their names and their spiritual life will never die. Say his name, Mata Musa Johnson's life vocation, freedom fighter. Say his name into quietness of the night, in prayer or meditations. Say it in remembrance of life celebrations. Say his name in spiritual rituals or pouring of libations. Say it so that he will continue to live in our hearts and minds. Say his name in songs of freedom and liberation. Say it in chants of resistance. Say his name as our moral compass and beacon of light, illuminating darkened paths. November 28, 2019. I was overwhelmed with sadness and tears when first learning about the death of my dearest friend, teacher, and comrade. Dr. Martin Luther King said, A man is not a man if he is not willing to die for his beliefs. Mata was such a man a man whose worth is measured by his moral courage to envision and struggle for better selves, better communities, a better humanity. Mata's humanity and humility were born inside the cold and desolate landscape of prison. Prison mirrors society in every way. He was unafraid of the challenge. Guided by his principles and beliefs, he was able to survive the rotten, flesh-eating, chaotic abyss inhabited by mutilated bodies, fractured minds, lost souls, and defeated spirits. He possessed a strong sense of resiliency and perseverance. His spirit remained unbroken. Mata armed his spirit and mind to stand as a man against all of the prison horrors, repression, and violence. Possibilities are always born out of doing. Our minds are strengthened in the face of the daily challenges we encounter and our own life challenges. He loved all shades of rainbows and human beings. He understood the power of community. He was a special friend and teacher. I say his name. He was a father, son, grandfather, uncle, cousin, brother, nephew, teacher, historian, friend, comrade, legal scholar, journalist, organizer, helper, social activist, prison activist, lover of freedom and of people. The diversity of people who attended his memorial was indicative of his human spirit and his respect for all people. Mata armed his spirit to fight against social injustice and prison injustice in so many ways. 
His initial involvement with the struggle were his contributions to the prison rights movement. As a writer, he was co-editor of a prison rights newspaper titled Armed the Spirit. He would use the newspaper as a tool for raising the consciousness of prisoners and fighting for their human rights, humane conditions, and against repression, brutality, solitary confinement, and abuses of the parole system. He fought and organized until his final breath. Say his name, Mata Musa Johnson. After years, decades of being in prison, with denial after denial of parole, after years of health problems, he was finally released from prison. After spending over five years on dialysis, three times a week, in my first phone call to him, he told me that he didn't know how long he had to live, but that he would be advocating for my release from prison. I have been in prison going on 46 years. 41 of those years were spent in solitary confinement. It was in the bowels of the beast that I met my friend and teacher. While he was out, I was able to talk with him weekly. Each conversation was an inspiration and was soul-stirring. He was still organizing a fighting on behalf of prisoners. He had started a project called Jail Block City Blocks, drawing attention to prisoners who have spent decades in prison. This was his life work. When I would talk to him every week, he was full of life and energy. The week of his spiritual transition, he told me he was going to focus on my parole hearing. He was on his way to a conference that day, so we didn't talk for long. Before hanging up, I told him about the new soul in my life, Liz Atkins Peterson, who works with Standing Up for Racial Justice. She was interested in being part of Jail Block City Blocks. She briefly had a chance to talk to him. He promised to call her back but didn't call back. Later in the day, he passed away in his, this sleep. I had the opportunity to say his name to my friend Gia. She is a family therapist with community-oriented solutions. She is a community activist. Our communities need healing, and she is a healer and an inspiration. She always reminds me to keep fighting. Through my tears, she felt the spirit and measure of the man. His name is Mata Musa Johnson a man of honor and respect, a trustworthy man, a man guided by purpose, responsibility, honor, and integrity. My friend, comrade, teacher, rest in peace. As you said at the end of phone calls, one love, can't stop, won't stop, Ifoma. He also asked that I read this one piece at the end of um, a letter that he had sent also to me, which says, Extend my profound support to all of the women warehoused inside these warehouses. I hope you all are feeling the love, the love of the people, love of humanity, and the love of being in this struggle together. I want to encourage all of you to please check out the California Prison Focus website, again, at www.prisons.org. Check out the newsletter archives. Check out the Prison Focus radio archives. Check out the Prison Focus mailbox and also the Liberate the Caged Voices blog page. There is so much information and education that you can get on this website. And please, if you can, make a donation. It's the only way that we can keep going. We have to come together financially. We know times are hard. But I encourage you again to please visit the website, make a donation, and also continue to get yourself educated. All right, we are now going to end our show with uh, this week's Prison Focus Mailbox. 
point uh, that oftentimes reforms uh, uh, create situations where um, mass incarceration becomes even more entrenched. politically despised and those tortured and left for dead dear prison focus here's a little joke for you every time they make a big release it's always the weekenders the guys who have five or six years to do never the old guys 60 and over who have 25 and 35 and more years in and are sick all I can figure is that the state has figured some way of making more money off of us. Used to be we were more costly. There are more men on this yard 60 and over right now than those who was in the whole state in 1963 when I hit CDC. To my way of thinking, there comes a time when punishment becomes a crime. I'm sorry that I ever bothered you. I don't see any light coming through this crooked system. If anything, it only gets worse. I've been in the state system off and on since 1954, and I've pretty much seen it all. The feds in San Quentin keep fiddling around for 26 or more years fighting medical is worse than ever. Only slicker. I was a barber at CMC in 1984. My pay was $45 a month. Over 50 years ago, they started giving $200 gate money. Everything has gone up but they gave money. If you bring this up, the answer is always the same. Quote, we can always come in and shake you all down and take everything. I'm 76 and my wife is 90 years old. Or I'll send you something. I could go on and on, but why? Everything is known already. Three weeks ago, I wrote the three judges in San Jose. I gave them a solid piece of my mind. They'll most likely wipe their ass with it. Best of luck, Jay Bernard. We are kings, queens against genocidal environments. Caves away from our entitlement. Sovereign through birth certification. No reedification. No.
California Prison Focus is a small community-based organization that works with and on behalf of California prisoners before, during, and after COVID-19. We have vowed to investigate and expose human rights abuses within California prisons through prison visits and correspondence and widespread dissemination of our quarterly prison reports. Under the guise of the Prison Human Rights Movement Blueprint, we are asking both the inside and outside artifice to get involved with the agreement to come home, which you can learn more about on our website, prisons.org. Our primary resources are relied entirely upon donations and subscriptions of our prison-focused newspaper, which is published every three to four months. This includes our new zine, Uncaged Slave, 24 hours ago. And we welcome you to get involved with our various platforms. Why? Because together, as one voice, we say liberate our caged brothers and sisters. Freeing one is freeing community to end all hostilities. Prison Focus, a training school enriched by a collective curriculum. All right. Stay love, stay human, and we'll see you next week. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.